Hey everyone, it's Ryan again with the Blockchain Podcast, and today I'm going to talk a bit about ASICs and some of the controversies around that and kind of where we are in the development cycle as it relates to developing ASICs for different algorithms, different projects, and kind of provide a little bit of perspective on uh, why this is a normal sort of progression and why ASICs will ultimately be the devices, I believe, that will be responsible for all the mining. Um, this is also kind of this podcast accompanies an article I wrote about this. It's also on the blockchain website. If you go into the uh, mining uh, uh, menu item and you just look at the article uh, there, it's the first one. And I'll probably write several more about mining since it's kind of an area that is uh, interesting to me. It's an intersection of kind of um, business and, and technology and kind of just strategy and, and things of that nature. It's, it's, it's a combination of different things and hardware and electrical engineering and just kind of those aspects which are interesting to me. And so mining overall, uh, it's it's been progressing for several years now. I remember back in the day when you could mine with CPUs, you could mine Bitcoin with CPUs, and then it transitioned to GPUs, and then you had pooled mining, and then ASICs came out, and uh, you know I remember uh, buying some of the first jalapenos from Butterfly Labs, and you know it was great. I think it was like running at 10 giga hash or something like that, somewhere around there. Whereas today, uh, say Bitmain is running at uh, like you know, 14-ish terahash. So, you know, an order of magnitude or several orders of magnitude more, you know, about a thousand times greater. So we've come a long way. Uh, the manufacturing processes have come a long way. The investment in this has come a long way. And so that was a natural progression for Bitcoin to go from, you know, this bootstrap sort of, you know, people with computers and nerds, you know, just kind of doing it, you know, on their free time or mining on their free time. As it caught on, you know, it started to progress where people, like I said, switched over to GPUs. People wrote uh, um, software to uh, mine with those. And so there's a lot of investment that has to take place for this to occur. And that's and that's what's uh, uh, what's happening. And it kind of goes from, you know, minimal investment with a CPU to then writing new drivers for GPUs and then pre- producing new hardware uh, with the ASICs altogether. So it has happened before, even with Litecoin, which uses the script algorithm. It's a different algorithm than Bitcoin, which uses SHA-256. And uh, one of the uh, um, aspects of Litecoin was that uh, it uses script, which is ASIC-resistant. Obviously, over time, you know, the ASIC-resistant uh, fell and ASICs were created for um, Litecoin by Bitmain. And it was more or less because the value of Litecoin progressed to such a level that it made sense to invest the money and uh, produce the miners and go from there. And you're going to see that narrative over and over again. If there's enough money to be made, um, it makes sense to make the investment to create an application-specific integrated circuit or ASIC. And so now the latest kind of controversy around this is with the um, most recent algorithms that were supposed to be ASIC resistant or ASIC proof. And really nothing's ASIC proof, but uh, some people think they are, but they're not. Uh, And that includes Equihash for, say, Zcash, CryptoKnight with uh, Monero, and uh, even uh, Ethash with Ethereum. And so Bitmain has produced ASICs for all three of those algorithms. And those are, uh, you know, each of those are big coins, billion plus, especially Ethereum is you know, uh, tens of billions. And so it's a big market. The only reason that the Ethereum one, I don't think came out earlier was because hash is a bit more difficult to create an ASIC with, first of all. And secondly, Ethereum has been planning a change to proof of stake for quite some time. And so creating the miner, um, 
maybe didn't make a ton of sense uh, because it's just like it's going to be switched to proof of stake and then the miner is going to be useless. Um, but Bitmain did that. You know, it does, I believe, somewhere around 550 uh, mega hash per second, which isn't actually that great. As far as uh, ASICs go, it's not a super high performance for the hash algorithm. But they did come out with an Equihash one, which does about 10,000 solutions a second, which is actually at only 300 watts, which is actually very, you know, very efficient, uh, pretty impressive, actually. And uh, for Crypto Night, they, you know, achieved, you know, some pretty good uh, marks as well. Um, but now those projects, because they were touted as ASIC resistant, they don't want ASICs on their network. You know, all three of these coins, you know, with Monero being the most aggressive at this point, um, they were kind of like, okay, well, should we fork this? And Monero decided to fork their projects to remove ASICs. And the way that they remove ASICs is they change the underlying hashing algorithm or the mining algorithm, if you will. And so that's been completed and that's been done. And it was kind of interesting when this occurred because, you know, they had suspected that maybe ASICs were on the network. There was a proposal put forward to fork the... Uh, um, the project to uh, remove any sort of ASICs or more or less change the underlying hashing algorithm. And at that time, then suddenly Bitmain releases these uh, ASICs, uh, Antminer X3s, um, to be sold to the public, starting out with like a price of like $12,000 a miner because the profit was ridiculous for the uh, Monero miners at that time. But it looked like, you know, they had been mining with these for quite some time and that they kind of were just more or less dumping these because the fork was imminent. And that's uh, what a lot of people are speculating. And I wouldn't be surprised by that at all because it was a hundred plus dollars a day that uh, someone would be making if they were privately mining with these ASICs. So this is where we come to really the cold, hard reality of uh, Bitmain and other manufacturers and even private ones that we don't know about who are making chips for mining is that if it makes a lot more, if, it, if you make a lot more money uh, mining and not selling to the public, that's what you're going to do. And I don't really care what anyone says. That's just basic, you know, business, economics, whatever you want to call it. And Bitmain making billions of dollars last year um, isn't by chance. It's because they're optimizing all these aspects. And so I'll, I'll kind of give a little insight into how that works. So let's go with, uh, say, the Antminer X3 or Kryptonite or whatever else and say, okay, Bitmain decides, okay, we could make a, we can do some R&D. We're going to develop an ASIC for this. They're going to um, figure out what the design is. They're going to go fabricate it. Obviously, they're going to test some in-house. Um, they're going to generate a batch of a certain size. I don't know what the typical batch size is, but say it's 10,000 units to 50,000 units or whatever the case may be. And what they have to be a little careful of is not uh, spooking the network. So not bringing on so much hashing power so fast that uh, it looks obviously centralized because of people worry. And then the price of the coin made it go down because you have a 51% attack sort of vector. And so you have to do it in a little bit responsible way or diversify, you know, your pools or, you know, kind of obscure you know, where all this hashing power is coming from. You can easily do that by just connecting to a bunch of different pools, right? So it's not actually hard to mask that a single entity is uh, producing all of the blocks or mining everything or has all the equipment, I should say. So say uh, Bitmain does that, and uh, if it's undercover like that and they're the only ones doing that secretly, they're going to be making hundreds of dollars a day per single miner. And those miners are going to ROI very, very, very quickly. Uh, even their R&D and investment and all the stuff they did is going to ROI very, very, very quickly. Um, so they'll do that for a while, and I think that's what they did with the Antminer uh, X3s. 
and then uh, you know at some point if it looks like the trajectory is such that they'll be uh, start losing money or not losing money but the uh, profitability will go down I think that's kind of when they decide okay we're going to start selling these into the market or uh, publicly and that could be because there's competition in the space other companies are producing miners and, and mining or selling them to the public and I think that's actually more or less what triggers uh, Bitmain because Bitmain's a business and they really have a few ways to make money it's it's mining by themselves or it is um, selling mining contracts to the public or selling mining hardware to the public. And so all of those three things are just different ways of making money. And I'm sure that they have people, you know, that have worked out all the math on that to figure out, you know, how many units they produced, what the difficulty will be, what the price now is, what the price they expect later on, etc. And they, I'm sure they go about and they figure out how many they want to mine with internally, how many they want to sell with, to the public, and how many mining contracts they want to sell. They have this stuff down to a T, and they're especially good at it because they have you know, more or less a monopoly, and so they know how many units they produce, how many are going to go into the market, and so they can kind of uh, dial those all in very, very well. Um, so that's kind of more or less uh, what they're up to. And so they, they uh, have produced, you know, uh, miners for Equihash and Ethash now. And those, you know, have, you know, pretty good performance as far as Equihash goes. The Ethash one isn't so great. But the Equihash one, they're selling to the public and they call it the Z9 Mini. And it's a small version. It's only burning 300 watts. And you could very easily... Um, burn more wattage than that even through you know just a standard outlet or just if it were even comparable to the bit uh, the bitmain miners or I'm sorry the bitcoin miners they're running at you know around 1300 watts so say that you could do four times as much uh, power through those um, and since it's a memory intensive sort of unit not too big of a deal I don't think to add more hashing boards and all that to say they probably have you know larger ones that they mine with internally that are not minis and they decided to break them down into minis to sell to the public because it was at the right price point and right now you'd probably make around uh, you know forty dollars a day before they're launched with that algorithm so that's not that much with the crypto night ones it was hundreds of dollars a day before they launched publicly so to me that means okay the Equihash ones um, not as profitable, sell them into the public, get your money up front, and they're selling for about $2,000 a piece. And then when they, you know, flood the market with these, uh, that'll come down significantly. And it'll probably, you know, be somewhere around um, a handful of dollars a day, maybe $10 a day, and then they'll do another batch and probably move down to, you know, 5 to $10 a day. So um, it'll move down that all of them do as you move more hardware into the space. And so I think that's why they sell them. Um, so they did... Another interesting thing back with the uh, Saya coin, and that was early this year when Saya had uh, created their own company and, or another company called Obelisk, and they were producing Decred and Saya miners, and they were set to launch in June-ish. Okay? And out of the blue, um, Bitmain came out and said, oh, we're releasing a Saya miner, and they said they're shipping within 10 days, and it was just kind of a big slap in the face and a surprise to a lot of people. And I think that was more along the lines of um, squashing competition because otherwise they would have just kept a whole bunch of them internally mined with them and maybe they did initially um, but they seem to have sold them to the public quite quickly and they were ROIing you know pretty well in the early days as well but it was kind of like trying to squash a competitor is what it looked like and so again that's you know one of the reasons too where people are wary of Bitmain they don't like that they're uh, the primary manufacturer and it makes them skittish when uh 
they're the only ones developing all these miners and it gives them a lot of power in the network so essentially if um they get to decide if a fork's going to go through or not. They get to decide what happens on that network or on that project. And so that's the scary part is kind of centralizing with a, a single manufacturer. So that's that's the big kind of thing. There's other things as far as, you know, uh, controversial aspects of Bitmain and how they've, you know, the ant bleed sort of controversy, you know, the, the fact that they're a Chinese company, uh, the fact that it seems like they might have some back doors and some of their miners and so forth. Um, and then just they, they're just very aggressive with their business practices, but they're also very good at what they do. Uh, they do produce miners. They produce miners at work. They're the, the best in the world at this point. Uh, customer service, you know, I haven't had too many issues with them, but uh, the, it's not uh, necessarily the, the best in the world because they're kind of a monopoly and they can kind of do what they want. So let's step back a little bit, I suppose, and let's talk about, you know, is this inevitable? Is there anything that uh, we can do about there? Is there anything that we should do about that? And so there's kind of this software defense and then there's this hardware defense. And the hardware defense is, you know, other manufacturers who produce these this hardware. And in Bit, Bitcoin, there's a handful of other manufacturers. There's Bitfury, there's Halong Mining, there's a few others that are popping up. And, you know, some people speculate that over time that there'll be more manufacturers of Bitcoin mining hardware, which may be the case. But right now, Bitcoin mining is, you know, not that profitable. And I think people need to understand that long term, mining is not, you know, a highly lucrative endeavor. You know, it's actually an endeavor that uh, gets harder and harder as it becomes more and more competitive. And really what it comes down to is extremely low electricity costs because really what you're doing when you're mining you know no matter what coin it is is you essentially you know as long as it's not proof of stake or things like that as long as it's a proof of work sort of mining what you're essentially doing is just converting electricity to cryptocurrency that, that's that's basically all it is and you're basically more or less um, a utility at that point so if you have megawatts of uh, electricity and you have these huge farms I mean, if you look at these sites, they're, you know, just these pole barns or whatever else, you know, and and then there's these huge transformers and a lot of power going into this. And so that's all they are is they're big energy sinks. Okay, if we want to really get down to the basics. And so as time progresses, more miners go out into the system, the difficulty increases, your share goes down if you don't add more hashing power. Um, the uh, If the price of the coin goes up, then you know, fiat profits continue to move up. But if the uh, uh, price, uh, the exchange rate uh, goes down, uh, then it becomes very difficult to run a profit mining. And it comes down to your cost of overhead and your electricity cost. So your electricity is an ongoing cost. Overhead is an ongoing cost. And, you know, the miners, uh, the ones that are burning a lot of uh, juice, like the uh, Shaw 256 Bitcoin ones, those ones produce burn a lot of energy, and so there's a failure rate to those. The ones that are burning less energy, I would suspect that the failure rate is lower, um, but I, I don't have experience to say what the longevity is. Um, say they have a shelf life of one to two years, maybe uh, with the more stable ones, two years or so. But, you know, the people who do this on a lot scale know what their um, uh, def, uh, defect rate is and things of that nature, and it still seems profitable for a lot of folks. But again, it's going to come down to low-cost electricity, um, very efficient operations, and I suspect that these things will um, centralize or 
to certain areas where there, there are these effects. So there's a lot of mining going on in Washington State in the United States because they have a lot of uh, um, hydroelectric energy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cheap in certain areas, you know, even as low as a few cents uh, per kilowatt. Um, and so there's a lot of people who have been moving to those places. Um, there's uh, some aspects up in the north with geothermal sort of energy um, and then the cooling that comes along with, you know, being in the Arctic area. There's some aspects there that are useful. In China, there's relatively low electricity costs because of hydroelectric in certain parts. And so that's ultimately what I think is going to happen is these are going to move to free sort of electricity places or low energy electricity places. It's going to become very competitive. The margins are going to be raised within, but it will be a predictable, ca predictable cash flow. The only caveat and something that nobody can predict is the exchange rate or the price of Bitcoin or Litecoin or any of these other currencies. So if this whole industry comes crashing down, that's going to hurt profits a lot. And in the article that you can find on the blockchain website, I kind of outlined some of these risks. And it, one thing I highlight is that, um, you know, when the price is dropping uh, for these cryptos, uh, it, it not only hurts your cash flow because the exchange rate is lower, you get less dollars per you know a, a coin mined, um, but it also reduces the value of your equipment because the value of the equipment is directly tied to the cash flow that they produce. So when you have a down market, both your capital uh, equipment value and your cash flow go down. And so if we have a big crash or you know we head down to five thousand bucks or less, you're going to have an excess of capacity. You're going to have, you know, a lot of people or a lot of places that aren't profitable to mine anymore. And so you kind of get this self-throttling as well where you don't get this runaway, uh, you know, expansion of the mining market because there's kind of this control of, you know, is it worth it or is it not? Of course, as the price of Bitcoin increase, increases, um, it becomes worth it more and more. But, you know, the story is not over yet the block reward halves every four years. So I think we're, uh, don't quote me on this, but a couple years or so, two to three years away from the next halving. And so that reduces the Bitcoin block reward by half. And that's got to be made up by fees if it's going to kind of keep the same profitability. Otherwise, you're basically coming, you know, you're cutting it in half uh, what the block reward is, you know, absent fees. Uh, and then to compensate in another way, you could say the exchange rate could double in price. So instead of being, say, $8,000 today, it's $16,000. The block reward's in half. Um, and so it, it's a wash. So you have to keep that in mind. And it halves every four years. So it's not like... Um, we're going to be on this mining gravy train forever. Last year was a very good year for mining for a lot of people, um, equipment manufacturers, you know, actual mining operations, even GPU miners and et cetera. It was a very boom year. And that's because the exchange rate has such a huge effect on the profitability of mining that it just blew up. And that's why graphics cards are so expensive. Um, now we're kind of in this period where enough equipment has been brought on board. Things have moved down as far as profitability. And we're kind of at this... Uh, equilibrium point. And so the question is, where do we go from here? Do we move up in value um, uh, as far as market capitalization? If so, then, you know, mining still has some more, you know, legs to kind of grow in profitability. If not, then it kind of stagnates and companies like Bitmain aren't going to be so powerful. Uh, it might also be more difficult, though, too, for newcomers to create new mining hardware. Maybe that helps the distribution of mining hardware because some people go out of business or sell to another entity or, you know, whatever the or maybe it becomes more affordable um, for uh, folks to get some of the stuff. But overall, um, it's going to change. And uh, Bitmain 
will not always be, you know, as big and as powerful as they are. Um, and, and they know that too. And that's why they've also been moving into AI quite a bit. And they talk about that more and more is creating chips for deep learning. Um, and I think that's wise because, they, again, they know that the mining game is not this um, highly lucrative business forever. It's just really not. Uh, and, and as we're hitting bigger uh, or bigger uh, obstacles with going uh, smaller on the feature size. So, for example, you know, chips today uh, for Bitcoin mining are anywhere between 7 nanometers and 16 nanometers. And a lot of people, you know, the traditional thinking is, okay, if you move the feature size down lower, then you're going to get better performance. And, you know, that can be true. Uh, but I think what people need to understand is with these high sort of power burn um, chips, you know, going down uh, in feature size doesn't necessarily reap the same sorts of rewards as, you know, uh, they may have seen from, say, like somewhere in the 30 nanometer range down to 16 nanometer, down to 12 nanometer, down to 7 nanometer, right? So all that to say, I, I don't think there's going to be these huge leaps. I think we've kind of stagnated a little bit just because of physics, you know, and quantum mechanics and all the things that happen at that level in silicon, you know, and uh, that we're not having these huge jumps. We're not seeing a thousand times increase in the hashing ability. Um, that's not to say that we won't see increases, but we just won't see them at the same rate. And if the rate is not like an order of magnitude, it's not really going to compensate for the uh, amount of hashing power. So that's already in the network. So you have to make you know, a big leap in performance for a piece of hardware to really justify the investment and to be able to sell it into the market. And if you don't have that huge leap, then you just stay with the status quo and continue producing the same hardware, continue mining and cash flowing. And so that's why we haven't seen like a, you know, a new miner for Bitcoin uh, in a while that has uh, higher performance than what we've seen, you know, two years ago, a year, year or two years ago uh, with the S9 that came out. So keep that in mind. Um, but as far as the solutions or at least the, the issues with uh, the centralization concerns with ASICs, um, you can create an ASIC for anything. Nothing's actually ASIC proof. Things could be ASIC resistant. Um, at some point, you have to consider the disruption that it creates to the network. If you're forking every six months, you know, uh, code's going to have to change for the, uh, um, the the mining drivers or the software, I should say. Um, there's going to be people on the exchanges and otherwise that have to update their uh, software. And so there is a cost to forking. You're probably going to get the coin, uh, the project to split maybe every time you do a fork. Um, definitely happened with Monero. There were once they forked, uh, several other projects came out of that. Um, and so you have to take all those things into consideration. And you could also have some security things, some other issues uh, during a fork. So uh, Monero has seemingly taken the most aggressive stance. Zcash and the other uh, Z sort of coins are, are thinking about what to do. Um, and then at hash with Ethereum, Ethereum is going to move to a hybrid proof of work, proof of stake. And then eventually, I think all the way to proof of stake. Um, so they're not too concerned, but also the miner that was released, um, it, it doesn't have that great a performance. So it's not like that big of a concern. So that that's kind of where we are in the ASIC space. Um, that's kind of a, a little bit of a maybe disjointed discussion of it. But it, hopefully it kind of uh, provides some insight into what we're dealing with. We're dealing with, you know, uh, uh, a situation where the, the problem, quote unquote, is that it's just a monopoly sort of situation where we just have one company. The problem really isn't ASICs. 
I mean, if anything, ASICs, creating ASICs is better for a network. It, uh, you know, makes them more secure. It actually puts the, the line, um, it pins the line to the right, if you will, for someone else jumping in and coming up with something better and attacking the network. So if you have a bunch of GPUs and CPUs, that's great and fine. But if some government or someone else comes along and says, hey, I'm going to secretly make an ASIC um, for this, I'm going to make a lot of them, they can uh, take over that network. But if you do have the latest and greatest technology working on your network, then you can't do that. You, uh, you have all this, these devices out there. Um, you have the best technology out there. So some government or someone else can't come in and produce a whole bunch of these and say, oh, I'm taking over. And that's why Bitcoin, you know, one of the reasons Bitcoin is the most secure network. And um, it's, it's even though there are centralization in the pools that uh, the mining pools, it's, it's a pretty robust network. It's, it's got a lot of hashing power out there. It's got a lot of devices all over the world out there. Um, it has uh, additional uh, ASIC manufacturers today too, so there are more that have uh, come online, which is great, and maybe a handful more will as well. Uh, I don't know if there will be too many more, just considering you know the profitability of mining isn't particularly high right now. But you know if we get another up, up move in the price of Bitcoin, in the next six months, 12 months, you know, we may see a couple other companies come on board. Uh, maybe they'll be doing it privately. And as people begin to understand these, this hardware and the supply chain more, they can be more effective and more efficient at developing new hardware, even if it's just to produce these things internally and not sell to the public. So um, with that, I'll kind of uh, close things out for this, uh, this kind of talk on ASICs. Um, like I said, there's an article on the blockchain.co website. Um, if you haven't already, follow on Twitter, uh, like on Facebook. Um, the new articles and so forth are posted there. And I'm also going to try and uh, post a bit more, a couple articles a week, at least one podcast a week as well. I'm going to try and be consistent with that and just kind of get more content out there and just a little bit of di uh, different perspective because there's, there's not a lot of uh, new information that I'm seeing, not a lot of exciting information. And, you know, uh, I think... Not a lot of in-depth analysis uh, as well. So I'm going to try and do a bit of that in, in the writing that I do. And if you check that out and share that, that kind of helps out as well. So with that, I will see you next time and uh, have a good one. Bye.